I knew that we were up there, but I didn't know that we had won until they announced the second place team and, and it wasn't us. And I was like, oh my goodness, dad, we, we just won this thing. We're talking with up-and-coming California tournament angler Matt Luna on episode 67, brought to you by ReelsandTackle.com. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. All right, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Matt Luna, who is joining us from San Diego, California. Matt, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, it's our pleasure. And uh, like myself, I'm in Orlando, kind of on the opposite side of the uh, of the country from you here. We're both uh, in our summer doldrums here, but uh, hopefully you're still getting out and getting after some fish despite the hot weather. Oh, yeah. I mean, living out here, you know, San Diego or even just anywhere in Southern California, we get to fish year round and you might get a little bit hot here in the summertime, but it's never too hot to be able to get out on the water. That's for sure. That's it. Just got to get up early and uh, stay out late and maybe uh, take a little siesta in between. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, it can get pretty tough out here during the middle of the day, but, Mm -hmm. you know, those morning and afternoon evening bites can be pretty fun. Right. No doubt. Well, before we jump off into the fishing and, you know, kind of what you're doing with your fishing career here uh, at the moment, why don't you just uh, take us back and uh, kind of tell us a little bit about, little bit about yourself and, you know, where, where you grew up and kind of when you got into fishing. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised out here in San T, California. It's the specific city that I'm from. It's a suburb of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Born and raised out here. Um my first love, uh, sports-wise, was baseball, and um, I played baseball from the time I was a little kid all the way through college, and in the middle of all that, I would go fishing with my dad, and, you know, we would rent boats out here at local lakes in San Diego mm. and go fishing and kind of did my, you know, learning along with my dad, and he would talk to some people at work that um, fished and bass fished and we get information from the guys at the tackle shop and learned about different plastics and different baits that were out there and go try them out. And we rarely did very well. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, even in spite of that, I still learned to love the sport of bass fishing specifically. Yeah. And, you know, I started playing baseball so much that I didn't fish very much. And, um, once I got towards the tail end of college is when I really started to kind of get back into fishing. And then once I graduated and started off with my career, um, I got my first boat, which was a $3,500 nitro bass boat. Uh, it was a mm-hmm. 1991 and I bought that thing. That was probably, I don't know, you know, seven, eight years ago I had that and, um, started fishing out of that thing. And that's what really kind of propelled me into wanting to fish a lot more. I started catching more fish and I just started to love the sport of bass fishing that much more. Right, right. So I, I'm assuming you got into the uh, tournament circuit doing club tournaments and that kind of stuff uh, not too long after that? Yeah, so the way that ended up happening is the competitive side of it is um, I actually met a friend of mine, Tom Lowry. He's a local San Diego fisherman and, you know, dabbles in guide service and stuff like that. And 
I actually met him through selling a rod on one of the local fishing websites that has a classified section um, here in San Diego. And um, we just happened to meet up. He was going to buy a rod for me. And then we kind of developed a, a friendship there after that. And then eventually he was looking for a tournament partner. I said, hey, let's do this. And uh, we started fishing um, team tournaments out here. And um, eventually I started fishing team tournaments with my dad and um, another fisherman um, out here. And then now I'm trying to, you know, make this into a living and fishing the pro-am tournaments we have out west. Very cool. So so what uh, circuit would that be that, that you're fishing or, or circuits, if you will? The team tournaments that I was fishing out here were predominantly National Bass West team tournaments. And um, they're kind of localized to Southern California. And um, now I'm doing the Wild West Bass Trail, which is one of the um, larger circuits that we have out here on the West Coast. You know, we do have FLW tournaments, um, but we don't have mm-hmm. any, you know, Bassmaster or anything like that on the Pro-Am side out here. So we're pretty limited. So the Wild West Bass Trail has definitely been, you know, something that us West Coast anglers are pretty excited about. We also have one bass which does the U.S. Open every year, and they're starting to branch out and do some more tournaments. They had a program mm. series years ago, but they stopped doing it. But now they're starting to ramp up their programs as well. Very cool. So are, are, you, are you doing those all now as an angler with your own boat? Yeah, so I run a, I run a Skeeter um, bass boat, and mm-hmm. um, I, I had different boats in the past. So I had my first boat, and then um, I sold that one and got another one that I bought from a friend of mine. And then once I decided I really wanted to embark on this you know, professional fishing um, adventure, that's when I really decided to buckle down, buy a brand-new bass boat that had the warranty, and I had that peace of mind that comes with the warranty and comes with getting a new boat. And um, right. I knew that when I go travel, you know, if anything happened, I could find a dealership, get it fixed, and it wasn't going to be, you know, this gigantic, you know, bill at the end of it because everything should basically be covered under warranty. So if I went out of town and broke something, you know, I would maybe be out a tournament entry, but I wouldn't be out a tournament entry and, you know, whatever had broke on the boat. Right, right. Yeah, that's something you definitely got to think about, you know, and you're uh, hooking up your rig and traveling all over like that, putting a lot of miles on it. I mean, you know, it's it's not just uh, tackling baits. I mean, you got to be thinking about hubs and bearings and uh, you know trailer and batteries and all kinds of stuff. It's a it's a whole nother world to keep track of, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you go out and fish and you're traveling, and you know, even something as small as a battery issue can you know make or break some of your days on the water because if your trolling motor batteries go out and it's windy you know you're gonna end up having a hard time trying to run a pattern that you're trying to fish or you may not even be able to fish certain areas because you know it's blown out to where you you know have to have a trolling motor in order to be able to fish effectively and you know i did have some battery issues at a tournament out at lake havasu earlier this year and um, it really kind of ruined the last half of the day and i was already struggling in that mm. tournament and, you know then having battery issues where i ran out of trolling motor powder power you know just made it that much more difficult to try to put some fish in the boat right yeah absolutely so that was a uh a, a lesson learned i guess uh on that particular tournament um any other struggles from the road that uh you know that you've had so far, I've been pretty fortunate. You know, I, I had a flat tire issue, um, and that was an easy fix because, you know, uh, thankfully the, the, the boat and trailer I have has a spare. So there's a, you know, I just had to put a new spare, the spare tire.
wired on there. Right. And, you know, it had internet and, you know, I was at a marina where there were some other people that were able to help me get, you know, the lug nuts loose and stuff like that. But I've been pretty fortunate um, in my fishing and traveling that I haven't had any, you know, major disasters. But um, kind of a funny story, though, that from years ago when I was fishing out Lake Mead for the One Bass U.S. Open, I was fishing as a co-wingler. And we were staying at this place called Temple Bar, which Temple Bar is way out in the middle of nowhere. And it's literally like, I think, 50 to 100 miles, you know, round trip to get to the nearest town, like if you want to go eat mm-hmm. dinner. So we were counting on this restaurant to be open. And um, all of us, you know, at the end of the day, we come in from practicing on the, on the lake, getting ready for the tournament. And we're assuming we're going to go to this restaurant that's, that's there at the marina. And we go in there and the restaurant's closed. So oh. <laughs> all of us are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? And, um, we go and they have this little like market area and it has a microwave and there's like, I don't know, maybe between five and 10 of us all hanging out in this market, trying to figure out what we're going to eat. And they have some frozen foods and you can microwave them with the microwave. And, and, um, all of us are trying to figure out how we're going to be able to get this microwave to get us some food. And we ended up having to do that. And, um, sit in this market and take turns using the microwave. And funny enough, it, Rick Clun was actually staying at the um, marina that we were staying at, and his wife and his kid were all in there trying to figure out what they were going to, you know, do for dinner and all that. <laughs> and you know, that's one of the really cool things about the U.S. Open is you know, you know, you're you're fishing against some really high level fishermen. Aaron Martins was at that tournament. Rick Clun was at that tournament. Um, this year, there's a laundry list of FLW and, and bass guys that are going to be out at Lake Mead and this October fishing that event. Cool. Too. Yeah. Now, from one of our uh, prior guests that lives there in uh, Nevada, we've heard a little bit about Lake Mead, and uh, it's huge, right? I mean, that's that's a oh, really yeah. big body of water, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, running water there is is the name of the game, um, from my experience, is you don't want to spend too much time in one place and there's just so much water to cover that it, it, there's nothing comparable anywhere around me to Lake Mead in terms of size and body of water. I mean, we have Lake Havasu and Lake Mojave, which are fairly large too, but you know, Lake Mead dwarfs those guys. Yeah. So how do you, I, I mean, aside from, you know, going there and actually doing it and trying it, you know, how do you prepare for something like that when you haven't seen a lake like that of that scope? You know, how do, how do you get ready for that ahead of time? What I did is I last year was the first time I fished Lake Mead as a on the pro side for the U.S. Open. I fished it in the past as a co-angler, but even then that was probably there was a five year gap probably between the two tournaments. So, you know, I couldn't really count on what I remembered from years past because water levels can fluctuate and stuff that you did five years ago you may not be doing now so what i ended up doing which i think helped a lot was i took two pre-practice trips um before the tournament started so i went you know Mm. these are months in advance where i went out there i got familiar with the lake again fished a bunch of different areas of the lake and then when it came down to actually doing practice i had five days of practice before the tournament so i broke down the different areas of the lake so basically Lake Mead has a bunch of different basins. There's a lower basin, there's an Overton Arm, a Greg's Basin, Temple Bar area, um, and there, there's other ones. And what I tried to do is break down those different areas and spend an entire day in those areas. 
and develop mm-hmm. different patterns. So that way I had different bodies of water that I could fish on the different days because at Lake Mead, you want to be able to have as many different areas as possible because as that tournament goes on, it gets very, very tough. Right. So is that your general strategy when you approach a tournament that you want to try and break a lake down into, or not maybe more than one lake if you have a, a river system or something, but you're trying to break it down into different areas uh, and then dissect each one of them so you can know which one to go to uh, based on the conditions? Yeah, for me, um, depending on how much time I have for practice, you know, I'll do that. But like, for example, I went up to Lake Shasta, which is, an, is I, I want to say it's the largest um, lake in California. And um, that's at Northern California. And it was like, you know, 10, 12 hour drive for me to get there. And um, I had no experience with Lake Shasta, never, never seen it. But I only had two days of practice for that tournament because there's um, off limits rules for, for the Wild West Bass Trail. And we can only practice, mm. you know, for two days. Now, if you wanted to spend, you know, if I could have wanted to take a trip earlier on before the off-limits period, I could, but I wasn't able to for this tournament. So I had to do the yeah. best I could with, with um, two days of practice. So what I did is I did as much research as I could to try to figure out areas of the lake that have produced over time, and then I just focused my time in those areas. And um, I struggled in that tournament, but I did end up learning a lot from that event. Um, I'd never fished for spotted bass and Shasta is primarily a spotted bass fishery. It has all three, but you catch mm. predominantly spotted bass. And you know, oh, okay. I, so I learned a lot about how the spotted bass seem to group up. And, you know, if I go there for another tournament, you know, I'm going to practice completely different. So, so definitely a lot of learning uh, when you first uh, hit the new lakes and just trying to get acclimated and not only learning the best places to fish, but learning how to pre-fish and how to practice, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Because when I go to Lake Mead, like I really am searching for areas where I'm going to get bit. Whereas when I was at Lake Shasta, you could get bit just about anywhere in that lake, but you couldn't find quality. So if I were to go back to Lake Shasta, I would be searching for quality fish rather than quantity of bites because getting bit at lake shasta is not a, not really the problem generally you can catch a lot of fish mm. there but you need to find the quality fish because if you're just catching fish at lake shasta generally you're not going to be catching the right fish i mean 20 30 bites a day is what you're you know is what you're looking for there where at lake mead you you're, you might be looking for five bites in one day yeah, it's it, it really does uh, test your skill going to all these different places that you know are such different fisheries mm-hmm, to be able to figure them all out. Well, how about that? So, well, just tell us a little bit about uh, you know how things have been going so far. You know, some highs and lows on on the trail. You know what? How how have things generally been going? So for me personally, I've been struggling the, this last year. I had a good tournament at the U.S. Open last year. I was able to catch my first um, check at a Pro-Am tournament. Um, I had nice. Fished the, I had fished three um, up until that point, and I cashed a check at the U.S. Open, which was awesome. I was really excited about it. It kind of really lit the fire going into um, this season with the Wild West Bash Trail, and um, I struggled uh, there's really no other way to put it. I struggled in, um, in the events this year at the Wild West Bass Trail. And, um, you know, it didn't really discourage me. I just looked at it as, you know, a learning opportunity because as long as I could take something 
from every tournament and use that going forward, mm -hmm. I was okay with the finish. Like, obviously, I would like to do well. I'd like to cash checks. And, you know, best case scenario, you win that tournament. But, like, realistically, going into it, I was taking it as a learning experience because I knew that if I want to aspire to be um, a professional fisherman, whether that's fishing at the highest level or just being able to figure out a way to fish for a living, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that I had a lot of work to do. I knew that I had a lot of learning to do. And I had a lot of dues to pay, and I definitely was paying some dues this year. <laughs> well, it, it, that sounds like a common refrain from all of the uh, the pros and um, you know aspiring pros that we've talked to here on the show. That uh, it's definitely a steep learning curve, and there are a lot more tough days than there are uh, uh, you know banner days, shall we say, out there when you're when you're first cutting your teeth. Oh, for sure. Like when I went to the California Delta earlier this year, you know, I was doing my research and I was expecting to go up there and use heavy line and flip and top water and do all this fun style of fishing. And I ended up finesse fishing because that was how I was getting bit. I couldn't get bit fishing the reaction baits like I expected. I wasn't getting bit fishing some of the top water baits. I wasn't getting bit throwing a frog in the grass and you know, then you have tides over there that are really a factor as well. Mm, and oh, yeah. you know, your, your times to get bit are, you know, based upon those tides and there's a lot of factors. So it was a really big learning year for me. I would go back to any of these lakes that I fished this last year in a heartbeat and, um, you know, try to fish against the best guys out West. So now have you had occasion to, uh, go elsewhere and, you know, fish any of the more, the famous lakes in Texas or the Southeast or anything? Unfortunately, I have not yet. Um, I would love to, you know, get out there and go out to Florida actually and fish for some of those peacock yeah. bass and, and all that. I lately with, I, with ICAST, I've seen a lot of the guys from, you know, Southern California that ended up going out to ICAST, you know, they, stay out there for their day or two and go off oh, yeah. fish offshore or they would, you know, go fish for some of those right. peacocks. So that looks like something. That right. Really right. Yeah. Do. Well, we had a, a great episode a while back with captain Kevin Cannon, who uh, is a guide down in uh, South Florida, Palm beach area who uh, does that. And uh, man, they catch those clown knife fish and peacocks and cichlids and all kinds of crazy stuff it mm -hmm. looks like a lot of fun i'm i and i haven't done it either um but i don't have as much of an excuse as you do i just got to drive a couple hours to go to it you got to fly several hours to come do it so uh but yeah yeah definitely uh something on my bucket list as well those look like just a ton of fun to to get into oh yeah for sure and you know for me you know some of the more offshore stuff is kind of like the the more the excursion type fishing that i've done and and that's even pretty minimal like when i was a, when i was younger i'd go fishing with my dad he had a buddy that he worked with that had his own um parker center console and we'd go offshore mm. and fish some islands you know out in the pacific ocean and catch yeah. calico bass and and stuff like that and that was pretty fun but i haven't i haven't done that right that right good. well you've You've got a, uh, a a big green fish you need to uh, figure out and stay focused on uh, <laughs> for what you're doing right now. Oh, for Absolutely. sure. So, um, yeah, well, I'm sure as uh, things progress and, you know, you keep moving along up the, you know, up the tournament ladder, you're, you'll find your way out to uh, Texas and, you know, Alabama and Florida and some of these uh, other famous lakes that uh, we hear so much about. 
Yeah, I would love to get out and fish Lake Fork or Amistad or Falcon or something, some, mm-hmm. something like that. And you see all these different, you know, FLW tournaments on TV or, or what the Bassmaster guys are doing. And you just see all these different lakes. And what I found in just traveling here, you know, in Southern California and Nevada and Arizona is when I get out of San Diego, it's amazing how much better the fishing can be. Like, mm. I know California is known for these giant fish. But, like, when I go up to Northern California, just the quantity of fish that you can catch in a day is just is just so much different than what I'm used to down here because mm. we get so much pressure and our lakes are so small that the fishing can get really, really tough. Right. I guess that could be a curse and a blessing, you know, if you cut your teeth there and learn how to catch them under those tough conditions. You know, that may help you in some of the lakes, uh, you know, when you're out there on the tournament trail. Who knows? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't take any of it, you know, for granted. When it's tough out here and I can figure out how to put something together, I just look at it as something that I can take somewhere else and use that down the road because I know that fishing locally here is basically the foundation that I'm forming that's going to, you know, hopefully help me as I go to all these different larger lakes away from home that I don't have as much experience on. So I really just try to go out, even when I'm at home and fishing lakes that I've fished, you know, tons of times. I try to take something from those trips, try a new technique or, you know, grind it out on a tough day, just trying to figure out what I can do a little bit different. That's going to put more fish in the boat. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what are, what are the next steps? What's your, uh, plan moving forward? So my plan is to continue to fish the wild west bass trail and the different programs that I have, uh, that are somewhat close to me here in, you know, the Southern California area and heading up to Northern California, Arizona, Nevada, you know, depending on the different lakes that are chosen for the different circuits that, that are around here. But, you know, bigger picture, I would love to start dabbling in some of the FLW events that we do have out here. Like we have the uh, Costa Series out here, and they do three tournaments a year. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any Bassmaster Open to fish that are anywhere near here. So what I'd like to do eventually is branch out, fish some of those FLW tournaments, see where I'm able to, you know, find myself at the end of one of those series. And then maybe at some point, you know, down the road, try to maybe fish that FLW tour or, you know, try to fish some of the Bassmaster Central Opens that are generally around the Texas area. Right. And just start trying to branch out and try to get into some of those larger circuits and try to really, you know, push to get better and better, you know, as the years go on. Because I just know that this isn't going to be something that is just going to magically happen one day. It's going to be an active pursuit. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And even I think when you get to that pro level, you know, you know, when you're on one of those circuits regularly, you know, it's still it's still a lot of grinding. You know, you're still constantly learning and adjusting. And uh, and I I don't think you uh, ever stop from what I can tell. That's been my experience is is the fish fishing. It's not given to you. Like even these, these pros that you see, they're traveling, they're driving, they're flying, they're they're traveling like crazy. And I'm sure a lot of them would love to have somewhat of a normal life, like life like a lot of us where <laughs> yeah. you're home a lot yeah. and you're not traveling. But, but at the same time, they were given this gift to go fish and compete at the highest levels and, you know, make some money, you know, fishing where they, you know, would probably love to have a normal life from time to time. And guys like me were just struggling and wanting to be able to travel and fish around the country and compete against, you know, the best of the best. 
Right. Right. Yeah, the, the grass is always greener, but uh, I, I, I'm sure most of them, you know, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't trade it. You know, when you're doing something you love, um, you know, that's it's it's great to be able to pursue your passion like that. Absolutely. And that's kind of where I'm at is it, it, if I'm going to work every day, I might as well work doing something that I love to do. And if I love to fish and I love to compete and why not? go for it because I don't want to be, you know, years and years down the road and wonder what could have been if right. you would have just what tried. If. Yeah. What, you know, if. what could right. have been if, you know, you would have just given that little bit more effort. If you would have just applied yourself that little bit more, if you would have asked that company to help you out or, you know, all that kind of stuff factors in. I bring that up just because fishing is expensive. Any of uh, anybody that fishes, <laughs> yes knows that you can spend about as much money as you want on all this stuff between boats and tackle and travel and different, you know, lures and all that. You can spend as much as you want. And, you know, for a person like me, I I don't have all this, you know, expendable income that is just allowing me to go. So that's why, you know, I'm doing the social media stuff and I'm doing as much as I can in order to, you know, develop myself as a personal brand and develop myself to try to be able to, market for these companies so that way I can get some help because I bring them value to their company and their business. So that way they can help me, you know, to, to, you know, achieve my dream. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely what it's about, uh, you know, on the, on the circuit, it's that give and take. um, And you gotta, you know, come up through the system. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not just the fishing side of it, it's the business side, you know, they have to go hand in hand. And we've certainly heard that too, from, uh, you know, some of the other pros and, and aspiring pros that we've talked to. Yeah. And the more I pay attention to everything is it, it doesn't seem like you need to have, there has to be a business aspect to fishing. If you're going to make a living fishing or else, you know, just living off permit ones is going to be tough. So you need that outside support from different endorsements or different appearances or different seminars or whatever that particular angler wants to dabble in. But there has to be, you know, the business side because we all have bills to pay. And, you know, I'm sure most of those guys aren't going to be wanting to, you know, not make a payment on their house because they didn't have (laughs) a permit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, the wife unit wouldn't, uh, be too happy with that. I'm sure. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and that's kind of where I'm coming from with the whole business side is I'm trying to develop as much as I can outside of the tournament itself to bring value to different people that hopefully, you know, I can build a platform that even if the tournament side doesn't work out, which that's my dream. And that's my goal is for the competitive side to be, to be my, my livelihood. But if that doesn't work out, then I would at least love to have business side, you know, and helping other people, whether it's guide trips or eBooks or, you know, webinars or whatever. Um, I haven't specifically figured that whole part out, but I want to build, you know, a community of people that follow me and, you know, like, you know, what I bring to the table so that way I can help people down the road. And, you know, maybe that's how I fish for a living. Maybe that's how I fish professionally. Right. Very cool. Well, we'll we'll have links to uh, all of your social media, and I know you have a YouTube channel, so we're going to post that uh, with this episode so people can uh, find you and take a look at all that stuff. And um, we're going to take a quick break right now, and when we get back, 
We are going to have Matt share his most epic day of fishing with us. So everybody hang tight and we will be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to say a quick thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. It really helps us to spread the word so that we can keep bringing you the most epic fishing adventures in the world. Okay, we are back with Matt Luna and talking about uh, his uh, time on the tournament trail. You know, he's an up-and-coming uh, uh, angler looking to uh, make the leap to uh, fishing for a living, uh, looking to live the dream doing that and uh, um, having, having fun doing it so far. So it's just really been cool to hear about uh, you know all you've been learning and how that's been going. But we want to take a step back now and have you tell us about your most epic day of fishing. So just kind of set the stage for us and uh, you know tell us where you were and what happened that day. The most epic day is really tough because there's there's you know through my life there's been multiple epic days of fishing for one reason mm-hmm. or another. But I think. The one that comes to mind is when I was fishing a team tournament with my dad, we were fishing, you know, um, some national bass West tournaments here in San Diego, one of the local lakes. And my dad and I were fishing as a team and we were actually at El Cap, which is a pretty small lake out here. First thing in the morning, we go to this big main, main lake point and I'm throwing a jig up on the bank and it's December. And generally speaking out here in December, they're not on the bank, but you know, it had just been raining. And a lot of times those fish will move up when the rain comes because mm. that water's rushing down the bank and those fish are there. So I'm fishing a jig on the bank and I'm bringing it back in and I get bit and I set the hook and it's a good one. And I'm getting this fish back to the boat. And that one, I want to say was about six pounds when I got it nice. back to the boat. We get, in the, we get into the boat and I'm looking at my dad going, we need to figure out how to catch some more fish today because with this one, you know, we have a chance to really, you know, I, I don't know that winning was really what I was thinking about at the time. I knew that that fish was definitely going to help us get there, but I knew that with that fish, we were definitely going to have a chance to do really Right. So we're fishing and we were going through the day and we're picking off a fish here, a fish there. And, you know, it, you would think when you win, I think everyone thinks that when you win a tournament, you smashed them, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just five right bites or you get that <laughs> yeah. one big bite and you're able to scramble and catch a few more that, right. that puts that limit together. And that's basically what this day was. So fishing wise, it wasn't epic, but the fact that I won a tournament with my dad was what made it the most, the most epic part of it. And, you know, we're sitting at the end of the day, it's one o'clock. Our weigh-in was around three and we only have four fish. And I knew that four fish, even with that six pounder, wasn't going to do it. Um, mm. at that time that lake was fishing really tough and, you know, years past, you needed, you know, 20 pounds or more to do well. And, you know, I had 27 pounds with a friend of mine out there and we got second place, but that time, at that time, that lake was fishing really tough. And I knew that we were going to need, you know, around 15 pounds to, to really put us at the top. And I knew that without having five fish, we weren't going to have that, what we needed. So mm-hmm. we're grinding away and grinding away. And finally around, you know, that one o'clock time period, we finally get that fifth fish. It was just a scraper of a fish. And, you know, that was it. <laughs> we had five bites. We got those five fish and we had our five fish limit. And wow. uh, we go to weigh in and, you know, we, thankfully we got a picture of it, you know, with all, all five of our fish. And we ended up weighing 1475, just under that 15 pound mark. And we ended up winning that tournament. And I 
barely won, maybe by quarter pound, half pound. I don't remember exactly, but just the fact that I was fishing with my dad, we won a tournament, you know, it was just, I would say that has to be one of the more, the most epic days I've had. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and you definitely didn't know, you know, you didn't have it locked up for sure. Like you said, you, it was going till one o'clock and you still weren't certain that you were going to catch that last fish and, um, you you know, that you'd have enough to, to win, but to scrape, scrape it out like that, man, that must've been kind of a nail biter. Uh, Absolutely. I didn't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't think we knew until they, you know, announced who finished in second place and it wasn't us. I knew that we were up there, (laughs) but I didn't know that we had won until they announced the second place team and it it wasn't us. And I was like, Oh my goodness, dad, we, we just, we just won this thing. And then they called our name and you know, it it was pretty awesome. It was, it was pretty awesome day. We were both really excited and you know, it it had to be, it's got, it's definitely, if it's not the most epic day I've ever had on the water, it's definitely, it's definitely up there. Cause like I said, before I talked about the story, there's been other days that have been epic, but I've, I've caught plenty more fish. I've caught more weight, but the fact that I was fishing that tournament with my dad and we won, it, it's gotta be the most epic. Yeah. So do you think it's more sweet to win a tournament like that when the weights are, you know, really low and it's tight or, you know, is it, you know, do you think it's more sweet when you have a big bag and, and come out on top, you know, do do have you gotten a sense for that? Have you had that kind of experience yet? You know, I, I think that winning regardless is the be- one of the best things that you can, that, that you can experience as a, as a uh, tournament fisherman, because you have that competitive streak in you and, you know, obviously second place, third place, you know, those are obviously great ways to finish, but we all want to win. So I don't know that it matters whether it's grinding out five fish or it was wide open and you had 25 pounds. I think just the fact that you beat everyone else in that tournament makes it just as sweet. Um, I know that going into a tournament, I kind of like when it's tough fishing. I like to know that the bite, you know, I really feel like when it's tough, it seems to level the playing field. I think when it's, you know, the fishing is really good. I think that's where, you know, it kind of, I, I just feel like it makes it a little bit tougher overall to do well because right. when it's wide open, you know, somebody's, somebody's catching them better than everybody else. And I just think it levels the playing field a little bit more when it's tough. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's kind of what I was getting to. Does it feel more like it's skill when you win and it's tough conditions versus luck when you win and you know everybody's bringing in big sacks you know um it, you know I, I was just wondering if you've had that experience like when everybody's getting bit and everybody's bringing in you know lots of big sacks are coming in you know is it just kind of feel like it's luck of the draw so to speak you know i just happen to get get the right bites versus when it's really tough and it seems like you know really the guys who have that little bit extra skill are the ones that are able to pull it out. I don't know. Uh, You know, it's hard to say. I I think that grinding it out, there's something special about the satisfaction of grinding it out and just doing that a little bit better than the rest of the field that was also trying to grind it out. (laughs) If I look at the the situation when I had 27 pounds in another team tournament and we ended up, you know, coming in second place, 
I think the guys that ended up with 30 or whatever they had, you know, I think that was pretty sweet too, that they ended up <laughs> that quality of fish, you know, and, and even though guys had 27 and 23 and 20, and I think that the, some of those epic days when the fishing is really good, I still think that's just a sweet at the end of the day, because you still, you're, you're all on a level of playing field, regardless right. of, in reality, because you're all fishing the same lake at the same time, at the same day, you know, and you figured out how to catch them better than everybody else. And I think that if that's the outlook that you have, I think it's going to be just as sweet if it's tough or if it's wide open fishing, because there's still that skill involved in, you know, whether it's 30 pounds and you're catching, you know, six pound fish average versus, you know, 10 pounds and it's a two pound average, like you still caught the bigger fish, like, for me specifically, like if I go to the Delta and you have a chance of catching, you know, the California Delta and you have a chance of catching 30 pounds or going to Lake Mead and you want to catch 10 pounds. Like to me, if I can catch 30 or I can catch 10 to me is relative to that lake. Yeah, absolutely. Although I got to imagine a 30 pound sack is always uh, pretty sweet, no matter what, <laughs> win or lose. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think if you're catching 30 pounds, you're, you're doing something right. And if somebody catches more than you, just gotta, you just got to tip your hat because I didn't you just yeah, have to yourself. No kidding. It was, it was their time. If, if you catch 30 and they beat you, <laughs> more power to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, some of the fishing, uh, you know, out in Florida or out in California, I mean, those 30 pound bags exist and people bring them in and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just one of those special days that everything kind of aligned and you, you caught them. Yeah. Matter of fact, the episode we have playing now as we're recording this uh, uh, interview with Don Eady, uh, he's a uh, amateur fisherman here in the Orlando area, and uh, he won a tournament with a 32-pound sack uh, on the Kissimmee chain here. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I I would be most happy with a uh, 30-pound sack of fish uh, on any day, <laughs> even uh. even if it didn't end up winning. Absolutely. I, I would be too. If I had caught 30 pounds in, in, in a tournament, you know, and, and you didn't win, I think you kind of go, I can't believe I just didn't win. I had 30 pounds, but I think <laughs> you're, you're, right. you're still pretty excited at the fact that you had 30 pounds. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, those are the days we all live for, for sure. It definitely makes, makes it so much sweeter because there's a lot of tough days in between and those days that are special uh, make up for those tough ones for sure. Right. No. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Matt, man, it's been a real privilege talking with you and uh, just kind of exciting to hear about, uh, you know, your story and, and how you're progressing. And uh, and I'll definitely be following you on uh, your social media here. And, man, just I'm looking forward to seeing some good things to come from you here in the future. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and, and allowing me on your show and allowing me to tell my story and what my goals are um it means a lot to have the opportunity to talk to you today oh well it's our pleasure and uh, y'all definitely check out uh, uh matt's uh, social media and instagram and and youtube he's got a lot of great stuff on there and uh we'll be seeing lots of great stuff from him to come i'm sure so matt man uh tight lines and take care thank you you too Here at the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, we are looking to record the most epic fishing stories from around the planet. If you are listening to us from outside the U.S., we would love to have you share an epic fishing adventure from your country. Go to www.tell.fish slash guest 
to sign up to be on the show today. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.